You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. When it comes to heaven, uh, we all have questions. And I hope over the course of the next five weeks, we can have a lot of those questions about heaven answered. Some of you consider heaven and, and maybe you wonder if it's going to look a lot like this on the screen. I, uh, <laughs> I think Larson is a genius, but that's not a biblical picture of, of heaven. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud, not going to have a heart, not going to have angel wings. Um, some of y'all be happy to know we're not going to be singing forever. I love singing, but like the thought of singing forever, every day, for all of eternity. Um, we're going to see scripturally what, what heaven truly is, what it's going to look like, what we're going to do, you know, where it is, what, what the, the essence of heaven is all about. So we'll, we'll just start that a little bit today, but I think it's important to, to consider this. Why do we study heaven? Why should we take some time this year and spend a little over a month really considering the topic of heaven? Let me give you two reasons why I think it's really important for believers in Christ to study heaven, to understand heaven. First of all, God built us with this internal sense of the eternal. Like there's something inside of all of us, this innate, it's really a gift from God that we consider eternity. It's a God-given sense of the eternal in us. We see this in scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. You see on the screen behind me. It is God who has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the hearts of man. So God has gifted us actually with, with this thought of the things that last forever. If you've ever thought before, I wonder what life is like when this life is over. That's because God has given you this sense of eternity. Often we think about it at funerals or a, a close call with a car or we barely make it to the ER in, in time. Or you read this tragic story of, of death, and we begin to kind of think about the forever. We begin to think again, what is life like when this life is over? Why do we think that way? Because God put it there. It is God who has put eternity into our hearts. Let me just say, it's actually a great grace of God to do that. Because when we think about eternity, we begin to think about what, what really matters in life and what really matters in eternity. We begin to consider Christ, the one who said he has conquered death, and the, the one who has offered everyone in this place today life that lasts forever, if you will, eternal life. And so the fact that eternity is set in our hearts is a great gift, a great grace from God. You know, every culture has this idea about eternity. The Australian Aborigines believe that when you die, you head to a distant island off the, the western horizon. That the Finns believe that after you die, you head to a distant island off of the, the eastern horizon. Polynesians believe that when you die, you, you go to the sun, which does not actually sound like that desirable of a place to, to be, in my opinion. So the pyramids of Egypt, they were buried with maps. The dead were buried with maps so they could kind of navigate their way through the afterlife. Native Americans believe that you go into the great sky and, and you hunt the spirits of, of buffalo. The Romans believe that after you die, you went on a picnic in the Elysian fields. So those of y'all who love Gladiator, like I love Gladiator, when Maximus died and you see him in that field, I know I just ruined the movie for you. He dies at the end. You've had... <laughs> You've had 22 years to watch that movie by now, so that's what happens at the end. Maximus dies, 
He's in the Elysian fields. That's the Romans believe that they go on this picnic. They kind of hang out in the field when, when life, life is over. The, the, the early Christians, they believe that you went to Christ's heaven that was so strongly detailed in, in Scripture. Even in the early catacombs of the Christians, uh, this would be uh, 130 years, 150 years after the resurrection of Christ. You can go into the catacombs and see on the, on the ends of the crypts statements like this, in Christ, Alexander is not dead, but alive. Uh, on the end of one of them, one who now lives with God. Uh, another one at the very end of the crypt, it says he has been taken up into his eternal home. These are our spiritual forefathers. They believe so strongly in heaven because they see it so described so accurately, so, with so much description in, in heaven. So why should we study heaven? Uh, because eternity is in our hearts. We knew that today, these next four weeks, would be some big Sundays at Highland. I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder with people right now because eternity has been set into your heart. And you knew that we were going to talk about heaven. You're like, I'm going to get there. Like, I don't usually go to church Sunday morning, but I'm get, I want to find out about heaven. I'm glad you're here. That is a grace from God that he has put eternity into your heart. What's the second reason we should study heaven and, and see what scripture says about heaven? Because scripture commands us to think about heaven. So the very fact that you're here today thinking about heaven, you're actually being obedient to what scripture has called us to do. And Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. He wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, you are a Christian, you are in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. So we've been given a command, Christian, to think about heaven. And certainly this is heaven because Paul says here where Christ is. I want you to seek the things, to seek the place, seek the idea of where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. So two words I want you to see right there. Seek and set. Seek is the Greek word zeteo. And it means to have like a singular focus. It means to be on this quest. It means that you should seek something diligently. A single-minded pursuit. It's the same word that, that Jesus uses when he talks about the shepherd looking for or seeking after that one lost sheep in the gospel of Matthew. Zeteo. It was that shepherd who was on the quest to, to find that sheep. It's the same word used of the woman looking for the lost coin in Luke chapter 15. She was set. She had this quest. She had this single focus, this Zeteo, looking for that lost coin. It's how the merchant was looking for that pearl of great price back in Matthew chapter 13. And in Luke chapter 19, it's the exact same word used, Zeteo, when it says that Jesus came to seek you, to seek the lost, to find them. It's this journey of, of a singular pursuit, this focused search. And so Jesus tells us, God's word tells us here, that we should seek the things that are above, where Christ is. So he's talking about location, where Christ is. Secondly, look at that word set. The word set means to be intensive in your thinking, to, to fix your mind on thinking. Thinking what? The things above, Paul says here. Uh, these next five weeks here at Highland are in response really to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on things that are above. Why would God give us a command like this? To, to seek the things that are in heaven, to set our mind on heaven? I think he gave us this command because he knew all of our propensities to think about this life only, this week only, our stuff only, this span of life in which we live. 
God does not give us commands about things that we don't really, we don't think about or things that we, we lean toward. There's no command in God's word for us not to eat rocks. Because <laughs> no one in here wants to eat rocks. That, like, that's, not, like, that's not a temptation that any of us have. There's no command anywhere that we shouldn't punch ourselves in the face because as far as I know, no one this week had this great temptation to punch yourself in, in the face. God does not give us commands like that. There's no command that we shouldn't have a cat as a pet because no one wants a cat as a pet. He would not have to give us that, that command. But here, he gives us a command because he knew that we were going to start leaning toward life here on this earth only. It's john-durham at hbcwaco.org for you cat lovers out there. We spend so much of our lives thinking about here, the now, this week. And God comes to us today and he says, no, I want you to seek heaven. I want you to, I want you to set your mind on heaven. I want you to pursue this place where Christ is. J.C. Ryle, who is the Bishop of Liverpool, gosh, 200 years ago, said, I pity the man who doesn't think about heaven. Let's think about heaven. I pity the man who does not think about heaven. And for you who grew up in the 80s with me, you can only hear that in Mr. T's voice. I know. I pity the man. I pity the fool who doesn't think about heaven. I know I just lost everybody under the age of 40. Start with some basic information today on heaven. With your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the 14th chapter of John. John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you've been here the last six weeks, we've been in John 15. We're going to go back just one, one chapter to John chapter 14. Find your, your way there. Go ahead and keep the Bible open after we read this passage in a few moments. But let me give you some context as you get there. John chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 1 in a little bit. And you probably know the context because if you've been here, it's the same context of John chapter 15. It's been a remarkable week in the life of Christ at this point. Jesus has come into Jerusalem in this triumphal entry uh, on Monday. And Jerusalem cried out to him, Hosanna, God save us, rescue us. And by Friday, Jerusalem would now cry out for his blood. And Jesus is going to go to his cross. Jesus starts telling his disciples, I'm going to be with you just a short while. I'm about to leave you. In fact, if you're there in John 14, just go back a few verses. Look at John 13. Uh, look at verse 33 with me. John 13, 33, probably that same page, maybe one page before. This is Jesus telling his disciples, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, Jesus clarifies that a little bit in that same chapter, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. I mean, Highland, this is not the direction the disciples were thinking this was going. That they, they have this anxiety now here in chapter 14. This, this fear, this doubt begins to overwhelm them. They, 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 the idea of Jesus leaving them was almost unbearable. They thought that they were following a conquering king, and now they're finding out that the king's going to be conquered. And they had dropped everything to follow this man. That they had dropped their livelihoods, their jobs, and they had to be thinking, what are we going to do now? Now, Jesus is fully aware here in chapter 14 of all that is in front of him, that he will suffer and suffer death in a few hours. He knew the coming weight of bearing the sin of, of humanity. But even knowing that this cup of death was going to be bitter, Jesus is completely absorbed. Don't miss this. 
His death is imminent. And he is completely absorbed in the fears and the sorrows of his friends. As if he was not the sufferer himself at all. This gives us amazing insight into the compassion and the character of Christ. The disciples offer no comfort to him whatsoever. They don't offer him any mercy. Instead of them being occupied with what was before Jesus, Jesus was occupied with their sorrow. It is their sorrow and their fear that Jesus, compelled by his love for them, shares about heaven. In fact, you note takers, you can write this down. When his followers were at their lowest place, Jesus pointed them to the highest place. When they were absorbed with fear, questions, concern, suffering, why would you leave us? Jesus takes them at their very low point, begins to point them toward the highest place. Heaven has always been a source of hope for Christians who are walking through difficulty, suffering, trials, questions. Take a cue from Jesus when times are tough. Consider home. John 14. Let's pick it up here in verse 1. So in the midst of that, you, you now know the context of verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In those few three verses, few short three verses here, I want you to see five things about heaven today. And we're just going to be the basics today. Uh, we're we're going to continue to build on this in the weeks ahead. Let's look at five things we learn about heaven from these, these short verses, these short words from Jesus. Here's the first thing. Heaven is the place from which Jesus had come. Like what he's sharing with us about heaven is, is firsthand. He is an eyewitness to his father's house. He's an eyewitness testimony to what is happening in heaven. So you're there in John 14. Go back one page again. Look at John 13, verse 3. We looked at this verse just a few weeks ago. John 13:3. 3. This is Jesus about to wash the feet of his disciples. Look what he says here. Look what it says, uh, what John says about this, the context. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. So Jesus didn't just, just appear for the very first time in, in, in Bethlehem. Like he has existed forever, uncreated, in, in, in the heaven of his Father. Jesus has been there. He knows what he has seen, and he knows what he's talking about. If you're going to travel to London next week, do you know who you want to talk to? A Londoner. Like someone who's been there, someone who lives there, someone who knows what's going on. Do you know who you don't want to talk to if you're going to go to London next week? A Texan who's never been out of Texas. Like they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't listen to them on the, what the, the best things to do in London are. But here's Jesus. He, he has been there. He has, he has seen this. He, firsthand, he has experienced heaven. He can describe, verse 2, his father's house because he came from there. Here's the second thing we learn about heaven. It's a physical place. Verse 2, uh, we, we, we see the word rooms. Uh, some of your Bibles use the word houses. Um, some of you are going to be disappointed with this. <laughs> if you grew up in the King James Version, it's not mansions. I know. I Don't go home. I mean, it's, it's going to be okay. It, it's not man. I know we, we sing songs about it, 
we have visualized in our minds like these incredible, you know, stairwells where we walk into our mansion and it's, uh, you know, seven bedroom, five bath. I don't know why you need all those bedrooms. It's just your mansion. But you walk in there and your mind is just incredible. That's actually not the picture. Mansions really have conf- has confused people uh, throughout throughout reading through scripture. But really the best word there is a room or, or, or a dwelling place. And so Jesus isn't in heaven just passing out mansions, Oprah style. You get a mansion and you get a mansion. That's not really what's going on here at all. We see houses and rooms, or your Bible might be called a dwelling place. Later, we'll see in Scripture that heaven is called a city, where there's buildings and there's rivers and there's seas. Every time heaven is described, it's it's described in in these physical terms, a physical place. Let me just tell you some of the things that heaven is called. Heaven is called a country because of its vastness. Heaven is called a city because it has inhabitants. Heaven is called a kingdom because there's a king there. There's rule there. There's order there. Heaven is called paradise because it's beautiful. And listen, heaven here is called a house because it's family. It's home. He calls it his father's house. Over in Revelation chapter 21, we'll get there eventually this coming weeks. Revelation chapter 21 verse 19. We actually hear and see the physical description and size of the capital of heaven. Not heaven itself. Heaven itself is infinite in size. But there is a capital city, the new Jerusalem in heaven. And we see that it's 1,500 miles cubed. 1,500 miles, about 1,500 miles, about 1,500 miles. That's about 3 million square miles. The capital of heaven, 3 million square miles. Now, what we can, can we compare that to today? Well, the most populous city in the world today is Tokyo. Tokyo is 897 square miles. And there's 37 million people that, that live there. And so if you were just to extrapolate those numbers out, what, what, is, what is Tokyo to the New Jerusalem? If Tokyo has 37 million people in population, that 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500 would be able to have 9 billion people in it. And the Bible describes that just as the capital city of, of, of heaven. But it's very clear. It's a physical Place. So some of y'all have, who've thought all throughout your life that heaven is just kind of, kind of some cloudy, ethereal city, and you're just kind of floating around with no ability to see anything or do anything or, or to stop or, or, or to sit down or, or to touch things. Heaven is a very physical place, and Scripture always gives it the terms of, of being real, being touchable, being concrete. So it's a singular house. This is where some Christians go, man, I was really kind of hoping for my own mansion. It's a singular house. And do you know who actually has incredible theology on this? Audio Adrenaline. It really is a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Like who knew the Audio Adrenaline was like the great theologian of, of heaven? That's really a better picture than what we've often thought about just being mansion after mansion. It's one big house, but I actually love this. It's one big house. It's singular because we have one God. And listen, church, we're of one family. We're going to the Father's house together. Number three, heaven is where Jesus was going and now is. Look at the end of verse two. If it were not so, what I've told you that I, I go there even now to prepare a place for you, beginning of verse three. And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again. So we see here that, that, that Jesus was, was going to heaven And we see in the rest of the New Testament that Jesus is in heaven. So Jesus, we see here, would return to heaven. And he would 40 days after his resurrection. So the question is, where is Christ today? He's still in heaven today. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, 
1 Peter, 1 John, and Revelation, all 11 of those books in the New Testament tell us that Christ is in heaven. 11 books, seven different writers tell us that Christ is now in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus was going. That's what heaven is. That's where Jesus is today. Fourthly, Jesus receives us and welcomes us there. Look at verse three. This may be my favorite. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself. Hugely important. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So what is heaven? Heaven is a place where Christ is and where he receives believers to himself. It's where Christians relate to him in a perfect relationship. We see right here, Jesus personally receives every believer into heaven. This is an incredible promise. We see in verse 2, verse 3, I'm going away, he says. You're not going now. I'm going away. I will prepare a place for you in my Father's house. And I am going to receive you into that place. When your time comes, this is an amazing promise. Because this means when your wife died in Christ, or your husband died in Christ, or your parents died in Christ, or your friend died in Christ? Your brother, your sister died in Christ? Your grandmother died in Christ? This is good news. They did not become an angel. I've got something five billion times better than that. They saw Jesus. Jesus welcomed them. Jesus received them. Jesus opened the door to his dad's place. Jesus was there. He is the welcoming committee. He is the host of heaven. So all in this place who mourn the loss of people, especially these past two years of those who died knowing Christ, your loved one did not walk into darkness. They walked into the kind, welcoming, receiving, brilliant light of Jesus. We have a very clear picture of this in Acts chapter 7. Stephen has just preached this remarkable sermon, and yet he has infuriated the Jewish crowd. They're going to stone him. They're going to kill him. But the Bible says they're gnashing their teeth in this violent rage against Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen looks up. He, he gazes intently into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why was he standing? He was standing to receive Stephen into the father's house. Stephen was one of his own. Stephen was a family member of Jesus, spiritually speaking. He was standing to receive his loved one. We, we need to know this about heaven. It is there that Jesus receives us. We don't walk into the great unknown. There our Christ receives us and welcomes us home. Number five, heaven is a place where believers go to live forever. Look at verse three one more time. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Now listen to this promise that where I am, wherever I am, you may be also. If you forget anything else or everything else about heaven, remember this, the greatest joy of heaven is being with Jesus forever. This earth is so temporary. This earth is so filled with disappointments. Heaven is forever, though, filled with the joy of relationship with Jesus that is now lived by faith today will be lived by sight then. So let's move on from information to transformation. What else does Jesus say? 
Verse 4. He kind of finishes this incredible description of heaven or picture of heaven, some elements of heaven. He says, you know the way to where I am going. I love verse five. Thomas, doubting Thomas. I relate to Thomas. Like he's heard this incredible thing about heaven. I'm going to be there. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He goes, I'm going there even now. You know the place I'm going. Thomas goes, Lord, we don't know the way that you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I submit to you the most revolutionary words uttered in all of history. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. In essence, stay with me here. Jesus said, you don't need to know the way to God. You need to know me. And just in case they missed the point, he comes back in the clearest of terms, the end of verse six, no one comes to the Father except through me. In saying this, Jesus answered the question that maybe some of you have today. How can I get to that place? How can I have a relationship with God? How do I get to heaven? Let me get to you in five words today. Jesus only and only Jesus. And in a culture that loves inclusion. This is one of the most exclusionary statements ever made. Jesus said, you can't get there any other way except through me. Mark it down. Christianity is not a creed. It's not a ceremony. It's not a conduct of of, of rules or rules of conduct or code of conduct. Christianity is a person. I've got to tell you these words that Jesus said about heaven. And it may lessen our crowds for next week when I say this. Jesus said, it's a narrow road to get there. And few find it. It's a section of the gospel that people roll their eyes at or become bitter towards. But I've got to say it to you today. It is a narrow road that leads to the Father's house. And Jesus said, few find it. Then he goes on to say, but the road to death, the road to destruction is wide. And there's some words that almost always put tears in my eyes or a punch to my gut. Many will find it, Jesus said. Narrow is the road to the Father's house. Few. Wide is the road to destruction. Many. Christianity is Christ, and Christ is God. Every other religion in the world today, the religion is built on moral and ethical teachings of their founders, but not in Christianity. Jesus is saying, I'm not pointing you to teaching, I am pointing you to myself. No one in this house today at Highland can come to the Father unless they come through Jesus. Want to live in the Father's house? There's one entrance. There's one gate. There's one door. And if that sounds upsetting in a pluralistic culture, I didn't say it. The Son of God did. 
And I invite you, just as Christ is inviting everyone in this place today, to step into him. Put your life into his life. Put all your sins onto his cross. And enter into the Father's house. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, your word is, is, is direct, is truthful. It cuts at our pride. It cuts at, at our culture today. Jesus declared this in a culture that was saying, quite literally, all roads lead to Rome. And Jesus has the audacity to say there's only one road, one way that leads to the Father's house, only one way to the heaven of my Father. It is through a relationship with me, not church attendance, not, not baptism, not sacraments, not morality, not good ethical behavior, not behavior modification. Jesus. Jesus only and only Jesus. So Father, we sing together a song of the redeemed. For those who belong to you, we love singing this song. It may not be well with our world or our relationships. It may not be well with our finances or our physical condition or our health. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can say, oh, it's good with my soul. I'm set. I am seeking the things above.